What's up everybody, it's Eddie Sanchez at The Bad Promoter coming at you on a Monday. As always, the drink of the day is a Big Wave. It's probably one of the most refreshing beers you can grab at your local bodega and goes with pretty much any food you like. Mexican, pizza, beer. I know those are pretty cliche items to eat, but it goes with anything, trust me. Alright, now, before we get into championship round, Gotta give a shout out to Gilga. The team is rapidly expanding, and I'm looking forward to being considered for a role as a conversational marketer. I understand that expectations are tremendously high for Gilga, and as a marketing professional at the intersection of sports, media, and technology, I trust that I'd be a great fit for the team. Alright, now, self-promotion aside, it's time to get into some boxing. Now, it's no secret that boxing has a fandom problem. Of course, you're probably wondering, like, what's wrong with fans? Fans are good, you know, they buy tickets to go to the fights, show up at the press conferences, they interact with different articles, they listen to this podcast. No, but the top fighters in the world often face a catch-22 in boxing. You look at Canelo Alvarez, his upcoming fight with John Ryder, a lot of people are crying that John Ryder is a weak opponent. Now, with the talking heads themselves saying those things, and fans and media alike, are, you know, regurgitating that, it does a disservice to not only Canelo, not only John Ryder, but all the fighters on the undercard, all the fighters that they could potentially fight in future bouts, and just the industry as a whole, especially when you're competitive with, uh, you know, the WWE and UFC for uh, promotional viewing and numbers. So, you know, if Canelo does anything less than win by a knockout, For these talking heads, it'll be seen as a failure. So, why is that so important? Well, the casual talking heads thought Canelo cherry-picked a fight against Dimitri Bivol. And, you know, the more educated fans are rather the ones who are more well-versed and stay tuned in to these types of fights. They all understood that Bivol is and continues to be one of the hardest boxers to hit. In fact, I think he has like the second lowest um, connected punches for opponent out of all the boxers um, in the world at the moment, rivaling Shakur Stevenson. Now, with the casual fan base not necessarily understanding those statistics, you know, those that are both for and against Canelo, the casual fan base is who far outweighs the quote-unquote boxing purists that make up guys like me or all you listeners out there. So what happened then? Well, Canelo got beat and since had surgery on his hand, and is on the road to prove himself. You know, not just to his fans in the boxing community, but truly to himself and his trainer. And fandom is a weird thing, man, because, you know, wins are important, obviously, but to these types of fans, wins aren't good enough. And losses are often seen as detrimental. That's why when you look at boxing compared to the UFC, you see different champions out there in the UFC that have two, three, four sometimes more than seven losses on their career record. And those fans don't bat an eye because they understand that, you know, the fight game is tough. They go out there and compete, put their literal lives on the line. And, you know, if they lose, they lose. They'll come back, enter that cage, and come again. You know, in boxing, I don't know where this mindset changed because I feel like in the past you had fighters that would, one, fight, more often, but in in that respect, they're fighting 
lesser competition for the most part, um, especially when you look at the percentage of fights that they've taken for their career and compare that to the number of champions that they face during that time compared to now where, yes, there's less fights out there, but pretty much everyone is facing either a champion or a top contender. Now, since wins aren't seen as good enough, you have guys like Floyd Mayweather and Canelo Alvarez who have dealt with this for the majority of their careers, or at least the majority of their money-making um, potential. And you also have guys like Deontay Wilder, who's dealt with this pretty much his entire career as a showcase fighter. I think it's safe to say that the cycle of fandom is what's wrong with boxing in the industry today. You know, there's a few different things that are wrong with boxing, but I think this is a major contributing factor, and often it's cyclical with the politics of the sport, ruining how fights are structured, how they get made, which promoters are putting them on uh, each network, and which network is willing or unwilling to work with, you know, the other side. Now, I believe that when you have constant poor takes from the media, at least the poor pay-per-view sales, and of course pay-per-view sales means that the top boxers in the world are missing out on opportunities to showcase themselves to a younger audience. Now, in a perfect world, pay-per-view wouldn't exist, and you'd have people like Canelo Alvarez fighting on a free platform, which, <clears throat> to zone, that's what you said uh, your goal was when you first signed him to that contract all those years ago. Nevertheless, um, that's not the reality we live in, and we have a pay-per-view coming up with Canelo Alvarez and John Ryder, and more recently, we're going to have one with uh, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis. No. That fight, in its own respect, has dealt with a little less of the talking heads, for lack of a better term, talking shit about the fight. And I think that's a really great thing because despite the fact that Ryan Garcia has dealt with a lot of criticism for you know, how he trains, a lot of people have said that he focuses more on being a YouTube fighter and uh, using social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok to showcase his power within his left hand and not so much his actual boxing ability but this man has shown enough inside the ring that you got to trust how he is as a as a fighter and i think that uh this fight the fact that it's moving away from that poor fandom talk is a good thing now that's not to say it's completely out of the way we have the other side of the poor fandom takes are of what's not actually being talked about. So when you look at the drip onto Davis side of the ring, you have a man who has had his own issues outside and has dealt with some legal issues in regards to one, domestic violence, two, driving under the influence, and three, various assault charges um, in, in the public. Now with these not being the type of talking points leading up to a fight, it just shows what is seen as important to talk about and what is seen as not as important to talk about to the media leading up to these types of high-profile bouts. You have guys like, I don't know, like a Canelo Alvarez, for example, or an Anthony Joshua. And they're talking about their mindset going into the fight, which of course is very valid, but coming off defeats and the fan base is almost like lurking. Media members are seeing this as an opportunity with blood in the water where they're able to get off the hottest of hot takes. 
Whereas with Javante Davis's crickets um, in regards to what's been wrong with him and his professional career, and more importantly, what's been wrong outside of it. Now, of course, I've done my fair share of uh, trying to get that out in the open. And granted, there's a lot of platforms out there that are doing the same as well. But for the overwhelming majority from the big box office of, like, say, an ESPN, Fox, Fox Sports, and, you know, boxing and all those big bo- boxing platforms out there, not necessarily talking about this front and center, it's a little disheartening. Now, we're less than a week away from uh, this fight, and I'm very excited. You know, in my newsletter on Substack, I gave my official prediction, which is Ryan Garcia unanimous decision victory. Just to rehash that a little bit, I believe that Ryan Garcia has not just the boxing ability to give Tank Davis fits, but more, more importantly, he has some physical advantages, namely with his height, his reach, his length, and his strength that will cause some fits for Tank Davis. Because we've seen Davis have some issues with guys like Isaac Cruz, and guys like Leo Santa Cruz, who were undersized compared to the 5'5". Javante Davis, um, especially when you look at the Leo Santa Cruz fight, I felt that he was doing more than enough to be leading in that fight. I, I think his boxing ability and how he was able to fight inside was giving Javante Davis fits that he hasn't necessarily felt before because there's been times when opponents haven't necessarily taken the fight to him in the past. And that was one of the first times where I really saw that. And I feel like Leo Santa Cruz did a very great job. You know, because he was moving up in weight against Javante Davis, who's a big lightweight, someone who should be fighting at 140. And Leo Santa Cruz was a blown up super featherweight. So he was naturally 126, moved up to 130, won a belt there, and then was brought up to 135 to face Javante Davis. This is a huge weight, weight difference. And it was ultimately too much um, later on in the fight when he ended up getting that vicious knockout in the corner. Now, I feel like because Ryan Garcia isn't going to have those physical limitations, I think that's going to offset some of what Javante Davis is bringing to the table. I think Javante Davis will be forced to respect the left hand from Ryan Garcia. And Ryan Garcia will do his best to not leave himself so open. I think uh, Goosen is going to make sure that Ryan Garcia is very aware of Tank Davis's power, his uh, mobility, and will do great work to the body to at least slow Tank Davis down the later on again in the fight. I think there's going to be a lot of potential for, you know, clinching in the in the in this fight. Whenever there's a fight of this magnitude and boxers at this stage, one, you're going to be tempted to get guys on the inside. And two, neither of these guys are necessarily going to want to get hit in the face. You know, the object of the game is to hit and not get hit. So you're going to have Tank Davis tying him up. You're going to have Ryan Garcia as soon as Tank Davis is bringing it to him on the inside to a point where he isn't able to get those shots off. He's going to tie him up as well. So, I sense an opportunity for a lot of frustration on Tank Davis's side of things, and I think there's a lot of potential for him to eventually get a point deduction. I'm, I'm going to go out and say that that's a fair prediction, that 
at least he'll get a warning. And I could see that playing into his head a little bit. I think Ryan Garcia and his team have done a great job of uh, shit-talking back. And I think within the fight, Ryan Garcia will do a good job of, one, showing that Javante Davis's talk doesn't necessarily bother him, and that Ryan Garcia will able will be able to use that to frustrate Tank Davis a little more. So this is a really big fight, and this is one that has huge implications on the rest of the division. You have guys like Vasily Lomachenko, who's still fighting, but is honestly on the back end of his career. You have guys like Devin Haney, who, in my prediction, is going to beat Vasily Lomachenko in their next fight, and is going to be looking for that big moneymaker opportunity. So I think whoever wins against Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis will not only have an opportunity to be the cash cow in the sport behind uh, Canelo Alvarez and Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua and uh, Deontay Wilder, I think Ryan Garcia or Tank Davis, whomever's on top, has an opportunity to be on that level, especially because it'll set up a fight against uh, Devin Haney if they want to take that opportunity. I mean, there's a, there's a possibility that they might move up to 140, especially when you have the uh, Tiafima Lopez versus Josh Taylor fight scheduled to happen. That's an opportunity to get the same sort of cachet in terms of a name opponent, especially if Tiafima Lopez is able to win that fight. I'm predicting that Joshua Taylor is going to win that fight, just given what I've seen from Tiafima lately. You know, he's done a lot to question himself, and especially in this last fight, there's that viral moment where he's asking his corner, do I still got it? When you have a guy who isn't necessarily believing himself in this type of sport, that's a recipe for a huge disaster. And, uh, you know, it brings an opportunity for whoever's victorious to go out there and face that matchup. If I was in the shoes of Ryan Garcia or Tank Davis, whomever's victorious, I'd probably jump up to 140 and take on Josh Taylor or Teofimo Lopez over the Devin Haney or Vasily Lomachenko fight. Just because it'll fill your body out a little more. You know, they're fighting at 136, so they're clearly not trying to drain themselves down to 135 right now. And I think that's due to the fact that they both know that each of them are stronger at that higher weight. And this will be a stepping stone opportunity for them, their body, and their career to go on to that next step of fighting for a world championship at 140 pounds. So... That's my prediction for what's going to be from that fight. So in the perfect world, we're going to see Ryan Garcia win by unanimous decision against Javante Tank Davis. And his next fight after that will be taking on Joshua Taylor, who will be victorious against Teofimo Lopez. That's going to be a fantastic fight, and quite frankly, I can't wait for both of those. Now, when you look further into the to the sport, there's a lot of a lot of name fighters out there that are, are looking for those opportunities, and they're looking to sign on that that fight that's going to give them that huge payday. You have guys like Errol Spence Jr. and Terence Crawford who have been rumored to fight each other for for what seems like forever, and it seems like we're at a boiling point where promoters are saying that this fight is up next, and I mean, I don't know how many times we can keep hearing this before we go crazy, honestly. So 
I'm not necessarily going to waste too much time talking about that fight. Once it gets signed on the dotted line, we'll have our own podcast to talk about that. But all the fighters out there are looking for opportunities like that to put their name in the history books and go from a really good fighter within a generation to a potential Hall of Famer. You know, something like what Timothy Bradley was able to do with his fights against Amani Pacquiao, Ruslan Provodnikov, and Juan Manuel Marquez. Like, those fights are what set him apart from the rest of his resume and made him a Hall of Fame fighter. You know, you have guys like Jamal Charlo, who has done a lot in his career in becoming uh, the undisputed junior welterweight champion of the world. But I still think he needs that one defining fight to, you know, cap his career off. And at this stage of his career, looking for that opportunity, you know, he has a Tim Zhu as a potential opponent for later this year. Assuming he's victorious, he's able to solidify the junior welterweight division with a bow on top. I think he should be looking to face Triple G in what would be Triple G's retirement fight and moving up to 160 for an opportunity for Jamel Charlo to really cap off what he's done in his career and solidify that, hey, everything going forward after this is a Hall of Fame career, and I have the Hall of Fame resume to back that up. So, I mean, those are a two-step program, basically, for him to solidify an exceptional career and make that Hall of Fame resume and... I'm really hoping as fans that we get to see that he's proven nothing but the best from us. And he's done the most work out there in terms of capitalizing on opportunity, you know, just being able to win all four of those belts and not letting a loss and a draw set him back. He came back immediately, won both of those fights and is still as the champion with all the belts looking for another opportunity to solidify himself within the division. If he's able to do that, I think he deserves a big, huge, money-making fight with a Triple G. You know, in a perfect world, we'd have him face his brother, um, because that's something I feel like we never really see, and it's something that they make movies about. But, uh, you know, you can't realistically ask for a guy to fight his brother at that stage, um, especially when they're both uh, world-class athletes, you just can't truly look at that unless there's some genuine bad blood, which they obviously don't have. So I'm not even going to waste my breath further on that. No. His brother, though, Jamal Charlo, is far from a Hall of Fame resume and honestly far from an exceptional fighter's resume. But he truly needs to capitalize the cachet he's built throughout his career, you know, with his highlight reel knockouts and his charisma, he's been able to build himself up as one of the most popular fighters in the sport. And, you know, due to his inactivity, that has kind of waned a little bit. He, he needs to go out there and secure a fight to ensure that he doesn't waste all that potential. He needs to go out there, earn his name, earn his money, and give the fans what they want. You know, there's opportunities that we've talked about last time against uh, David Benavidez, David Morrell, potentially a Canelo Alvarez fight. Like, those are fights that will give him the name recognition 
the resume that would match the amount of chatter that he's been able to garner in his career. And not to be disrespectful, but the fact that he hasn't to this point truly tested himself makes it almost disrespectful to the other fighters out there who fight all all walks of life and all levels of competition. You know, you have a guy like Miguel Cotto back in the day who fought everyone. Fought a Mayweather, fought a Pacquiao, fought a Canelo, fought a Sergio Martinez, you know, Yuri Foreman, Antonio Margarito as a cheater, you know? He fought everyone. And then you have a Jamal Charlo who, at least in the streets and just like on social media and stuff, has kind of built a name similar to that despite never truly putting in the work to to earn it, to truly earn it. Now, I'm hoping that we'll get a good fight from Jamal Charlo this year. Over the past two weeks, he's been really ramping up his training. You know, we see it on social media. We see the public is talking about it. He's really setting himself up for a good opportunity. And, uh, hey, I'm here for it, and I'm hoping that we get that soon. All right, everybody, that's it for the Bad Promoter Podcast and Championship Round. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping up at the Bad Promoter on social at the Bad Promoter and online at thebadpromoter.com. As always, follow my step stack. All right, everybody, let's get it.